Welcome to The Nonprofit Voice, a podcast series brought to you by Nonprofit Pro, the go-to resource for nonprofit management and strategy. In each episode, we're going to sit down with leaders of nonprofit organizations, the people responsible for paving the way for our sector, along with key technology strategy partners who are transforming our industry. Here at the Nonprofit Voice, we'll have refreshing conversations in which we will all learn more about the convergence of nonprofit and technology. Be sure to follow us on social media and visit our website to find more episodes of the Nonprofit Voice. And you can download all of the Nonprofit Voice episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We will have all the links down below. Hi, welcome back to the Nonprofit Voice. I'm Amanda Cole, the Editor-in-Chief of Nonprofit Pro and host of today's episode. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast, where we were discussing Giving USA 2022, the annual report on philanthropy for the year 2021. Here to speak all about it, I have Laura McDonald, Giving USA Chair, and Una Osili, Associate Dean for Research and International Programs at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Welcome, Laura and Una. Thank you. Um, before we get started, can you just tell me a little bit um, about yourself and your work with Giving USA? Laura, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, So uh, our firm, Benefactor Group, is a member of the Giving Institute, and the Giving USA Foundation is the public service initiative 501c3 associated with the Giving Institute. So we're formally the publishers of Giving USA, and I had the privilege of starting out, well, early in my career as just someone who embraced the research when it came out every year and applied it to, to my work. More recently, I had the opportunity to serve on the editorial review board, which is one of the two primary volunteer cores that help support the uh, writing and publishing, and then moved my way up through the ranks of the foundation board. So I now serve as chair of the foundation board uh, and have considered a great privilege to be a part of this research. Great, and Una? Yes, I am. an academic by training, my PhD is in economics. I spent a lot of my career in academic work, research, writing, teaching, and about uh, now for more than two decades, I have uh, played a role as the lead researcher on the Giving USA project. It is also such an honor to collaborate with Laura and so many colleagues at both the Giving Institute and the Giving USA Foundation. Uh, we speak a lot about collaboration in the nonprofit sector, but this is a true partnership. We have worked on this, as I mentioned, for several decades. The Lilly Family School brings the research expertise, but uh, our colleagues at the Giving USA Foundation bring the lived experience, their work with clients and nonprofits around the country. And I think that's what makes this project so meaningful and so relevant because we have the academic rigor, the scientific integrity with the data, but then we also have those implications and actionable insights that emerge from our colleagues at the Giving USA Foundation. So thrilled to be here with you today. And also, um, I think one of the best kept secrets with Giving USA is really the longevity of the project. Uh, dates back to 1956, and it allows us to see not just where American philanthropy has been, but also gives us a glimpse into the future. So for all of those reasons, this is really an exciting uh, season for us uh, to have this data at this very important time in our nation's history. Okay, great. Well, let's hop into it. So giving grew 4% um, to about $485 billion last year. So when adjusted for inflation, it went down slightly, but you know that's compared to 
2020, of course. So kind of how are you feeling about the 2021 numbers? I know I feel um, my confidence is bolstered. Um, my um, belief in the power of philanthropy is, is heartened. You know, I really see this as a sign of the resilience of, the, of charitable giving and of the resilience of the generosity of American people. We saw such remarkable growth in 2020, given everything that was going on. Uh, and so, so from 19 to 20, it grew by 9.5%, I believe Una, Una will fact check me on all of this. And that was remarkable given both some of the financial constraints that American households had during that difficult year of 2020, but also the very real and obvious needs. And then every year we start again at zero. It, it's not an annuity. It's not like it keeps growing from its base. We start at zero again every year. And so to see that it not only met, but eclipsed that growth in 2021, I take as just a real affirmation of the work that we do and the generosity of donors in America. And Una, were there any, was it, did anything surprise you at all in the overall data? I think it's important to note that we have several factors at play here for the 2021 results. Number one, a very strong economy, and this should be very encouraging for donors and for nonprofits to realize that in this uh, strong economy, donors uh, not only stepped up, but actually stepped forward in their giving. Um, so this uh, 4% increase in nominal terms adjusted for inflation, giving held steady. Uh, the big factor in 2021 that we have to emphasize is inflation. So for the first time really in several decades, we as a, a nation, our nonprofit sector and all different sectors of the economy are grappling with higher prices, and also supply chain and labor market shortages. So I think when you put all this together, it's not just encouraging to see that giving held steady, even adjusted for inflation, but also that nonprofits were able to adapt to all of these challenges um, that they faced. And we've seen enormous uh, resilience and innovation in the nonprofit sector. So I think these numbers, this a uh, new record, uh, $484 billion, is about 2% of GDP, really speaks to the strength of the nonprofit sector and the persistence of generosity. We didn't see donors sort of pull back. There was not the onset of compassion or donor fatigue, but instead, uh, actually donors, as I said, have uh, embraced this notion of um, contribute, contributing to the needs in their communities and also finding new ways to do so. And, we can see more about those uh, new ways as well. Perfect. Let's let's hop into the sources of, of giving to start. So for individual donors, it looks like that continued to grow, um, and it, in the report deemed mega gifts as kind of a, a big contributor of that. Um, but individual giving as a percentage continues to decline. So what does that tell nonprofits about the state of, of individual giving? I think it's worth noting that individuals are still the lion's share of philanthropy. That was the case in the 1950s and 60s. It's still the case now. But when we look at what has changed since the 50s and 60s, it's also that the foundation segment has expanded. What we, when we drill down into those numbers, 
uh, foundations that are composed of about half of all the foundations in the U.S., more than 70,000 of them, are family foundations, which are largely controlled by one or two family members. So even with the rise of foundations, and we've seen continued growth in that sector, we've also seen the expansion of individuals because individuals wear many hats. Some of them are writing checks as donors. Some of them are working through their foundations, family foundations. Others are using other kinds of vehicles. I think for the nonprofit sector, it's important to realize while that share has declined in terms of its footprint, we've also seen individuals play a big role in other seats that they occupy, whether as foundation leaders, as uh, board members, also in corporations uh, where they work and, and contribute in that way as well. And I think Una, that really points to a dynamic that we're seeing because those individuals who have moved their charitable giving out of their own wallet or checkbook and into a family foundation or donor advised fund represent largely uh, donors from high net worth households. And even in the 67% of charitable giving or almost 327 billion given directly by individuals, we continue to see that high net worth mega gifts and high net worth households really uh, dominate that terrain. And I think that there are a couple of reasons why today's practitioners ought to be aware of that and perhaps taking some action to diversify their donor uh, body. One is that, you know, um, many development offices today really focus on major gifts. And so some of this has been, you know, of our own doing, the fact that we've showered resources and strategy and tactic on major donors often uh, leaving middle and everyday donors um, with much less attention. And so it's no wonder that uh, that's what we find is, is responding and that the giving has become more concentrated among these high net worth households. The concern is that, you know, how does that develop a pipeline for future donors? How do, we, how do you make sure that your organization is creating a giving habit amongst donors early in their giving journey so that when they have greater capacity to give, have accumulated wealth or have higher earnings, that they continue to support your cause as one of their philanthropic priorities. And I would just say also philosophically that I think a model in which um, we are so dependent upon the three to 5% of American households that uh, qualify as high net worth, that it doesn't really reflect our society. And so therefore, I think that it doesn't do as much to strengthen strengthen democracy as philanthropy traditionally has. Very interesting. And we did start touching on foundations, moving into the other next uh, source, 11-year um, growth streak. Um, but it does sound that that's why it's growing is because people are, it's moving from individual to foundation. I mean, what else can you add on to that? The stock market. You okay. know, most foundation assets are invested in the market and for the last uh, decade or so, we've seen, uh, with a few exceptions, some really great stock market performance. Uh, Dr. Osili would remind us all that the what matters is year-over-year -year performance in the markets. So a mid-year swoon or a mid-year spike does not have impact. It's where are the markets on December 31st and how does that compare to where they were a year ago? And what we've seen until fairly recently is pretty steady, robust market growth. Right. I will also emphasize that foundations tend to give from a two to three year rolling average. And just to put those numbers in perspective, GDP grew at 10% in 
nominal terms and 5% adjusted for inflation. So a record growth, but financial markets actually reached new highs over the last two years. And the S&P in particular grew at over 20%. So for many nonprofits leaders who are um, listening in today, just keep in mind that because of that growth, foundations are poised to play a role even in the upcoming year with some of the volatile view that we've seen because they are coming from a very strong position as far as their balance sheets are concerned. And we've also seen foundations during this time experiment with new models. So announcements about unrestricted gifts, many foundations uh, looked at more trust-based models of working with their grantees. And I think this is very good news for nonprofits because uh, unrestricted gifts were quite difficult to obtain in the past and there's more of a willingness to discuss those. And also new financial instruments, impact investing. And many foundations have looked at these uh, new tools, whether those are impact bonds or other kinds of vehicles that they can use to support the nonprofits in their community. So once again, I think this is a great um, opportunity for nonprofits because foundations are willing to have those conversations about uh, new ways of, of giving, new ways of providing grants, multi-year unrestricted giving. Uh, we heard uh, Mackenzie Scott in particular when she made her very large gifts and many of those gifts were unrestricted. The president of Howard University received a call, a $40 million gift that was the largest in that institution's history and HBCU, and it was unrestricted. So this is the time to have those conversations. I think having these large gifts uh, that are unrestricted provides a great example and inspiration for a lot of foundations and individual donors. Okay, great. And, and next up is bequests, which had a record year in 2020, but was the only category to drop before adjusting for inflation um, in 2021. Is there any cause for concern there or was it expected? I would say uh, bequests are the most volatile segment of the charitable landscape. Uh, we see a lot of volatility in bequests simply because they are influenced by very large bequests closing. And this has less to do with uh, fluctuations in the economy and more driven by the timing of those largest states. I'd say that uh, charitable bequests continue to be an area for many nonprofits to pay attention to because of our aging demographic. Many developed countries have this profile where we're entering into a period where many Americans are reaching those ages where they are making planned gifts or preparing for them. And then uh, I think this is also an area that we, many nonprofits have not invested in in the past, but given the demographic profile, this is an opportune time to start thinking about planned giving. That's right, Una. If we look over the last five years, charitable giving has grown on average 4.1%, I think. So we were right on point with the average growth of the entire charitable giving sector in 2021. During the same period, bequests have grown at 5.9%. So giving by bequest, even though it was down a bit this year, as Una said, it's more about timing and it is a growing factor. Okay, great. And then lastly, we have corporations, um, which had a, a decent um, increase in 2021, but corporate giving remains a very small percentage of corporate profits and only 4% of total giving. So what do you make of this? As corporations are held more responsible for making an impact, will this continue to grow? Well, giving by corporations was a really bright spot in this year's report. As you've noted, we saw that giving by corporations rebounded as the economy recovered. 
and uh, it was influenced by the record growth in GDP, as I mentioned, that over 10% growth in nominal terms. But pre-tax profits also surged over 20%, and we saw that this was really broad-based across many different types of industries. So it wasn't just the tech sector that performed well, but we saw retail, consumer goods, many of those sectors that were hard hit in 2020 came back. And uh, for corporations, I think this is also a time when we are seeing, uh, again, new models. Workplace giving has expanded during this time. Many corporations expanded their matching programs uh, during the pandemic and beyond. And we've also seen the use of a broader set of tools within the corporate uh, giving world, uh, cause marketing, uh, nonprofit sponsorships and partnerships, rounding up at uh, the cash register, all kinds of new methods. So uh, for corporations, however, I think looking ahead, uh, we're also seeing them playing a, a bigger role in their communities, not just uh, through their uh, dollars and volunteer hours, but also taking important positions on issues. So I think for many nonprofit partners, it's important to start to think about how to work with the corporate community and where there could be alignment, especially in this era where corporations have uh, really responded uh, to the needs of communities. Laura, you may have some additional points as well. Well, I, I think that there are some enormously generous uh, businesses and corporations uh, and that they might express that generosity in many ways, certainly corp giving through the corporation or through the corporate foundation, which is also counted in this sector, is just one of them. We saw a lot of corporations developing workforce development uh, programs to serve both their communities and to provide pathways out of poverty. Those don't show up in the charitable giving dollars. That's probably an initiative that they're doing internally. And so I think there are many ways. And we know that things like um, marketing partnerships, et cetera, represent at least as much as this corporate giving total, uh, but is counted outside. But I will say, it's disappointing that corporate giving remains below 1% of corporate pre-tax profits. It's now declined to seven-tenths of a percent. You know, there were eras when it was pretty stable at 2% of corporate pre-tax profits, which would mean it would be more than double the number that we are seeing here. And let's remember that, that back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, Ken Dayton, the Dayton family had a, a chain of uh, nice department stores in the upper Midwest, and that became Target. Target Corporation. Ken Dayton advocated for 5% of corporate pre-tax profits. He felt that it was good for both the corporation and the communities that they served, and we're nowhere near that today. Interesting. And before we hop into sectors, I know we talked about inflation earlier, so I just was curious. Obviously, you know, it played a role in, in the 2020 numbers with some areas seeing growth, and then once adjusted for inflation, they would be declines. So I'm, I know I know this year's full report isn't out yet, but if we could quickly, briefly look ahead to next year, um, well, you know, next year's report, but 2022, what impact do you think inflation is going to have on giving? It's a very good question and one that's continuing to evolve uh, with lots of headlines being made. I think for many nonprofits, this is a challenging time because they're adjusting to higher costs of providing their services, but also expanded needs in communities as American households grapple with the impact of rising food prices, rising energy prices, and higher costs across the board. So I think that these are challenging times. However, what's also important to learn is that 
these times when Americans uh, have these important needs, also an opportunity for many donors to make transformational gifts. And we've seen, as we look at the data over time, that during recessionary periods, there are sectors of the giving landscape that benefit tremendously. Giving to basic needs, for example, rises during a downturn. And so many donors want to give where their gifts can make a difference. So I think uh, the big takeaway as we think about inflation is that there are adaptations and adjustments that nonprofits are going to have to make, especially on their service delivery models to contend and grapple with this higher inflation. But on the generosity side, uh, it continues to be an opportunity to share how uh, they are making a difference in their communities and how their mission is still relevant. Yeah, I think you've said, Una, that there does not appear to be a direct correlation between inflation and charitable giving. Uh, and yet there is a correlation sometimes between inflation and other adverse economic factors like moving into a recession. And so, you know, we're still looking at that. For many of our, uh, the organizations that we're working with, though, we also point out that if you've got a donor who has traditionally given you $10,000 a year, it's unlikely that they're going to round up to, to 10,700. You know, donors give in big round numbers. And so I think that that really forces the nonprofit sector to think more creatively about both their existing donors and are there ways in which they can inspire them to give more generously, given the inflationary times that the nonprofit is in and where there are higher costs. And are there ways in which they can structure gifts? So for example, we have many capital campaign clients right now. Uh, we have seen in past times of economic uncertainty that some donors are really reluctant to make a five-year pledge, for example, which has been the bedrock of capital campaigns. And so instead, what often happens is that donor will say, I'd love to think of myself as a $500,000 contributor to this campaign. I will make this year's $100,000 gift, but I'm not prepared to sign a pledge form until the market settles down a little bit. And so, you know, some sort of a, a non-binding intent to give is sometimes necessary, not as useful, especially if the nonprofit organization needs pledges to secure short-term short borrowing to begin the construction project. But um, I think adapting to the concerns that donors have during these periods of uncertainty is important. Okay, and jumping into, back to the report also, but jumping into sectors, um, overall, with the exception of education, all sectors stayed on pace with 2020's figures or saw a jump in giving. So what stood out to you there? Arts and culture. We do a lot of work in arts and culture, and I was so happy to see that after a, a decline in 2020, one of the sectors that, that experienced a decline, and that is not unusual that oftentimes arts and culture is sensitive to the other factors of the economy. And, you know, as donors saw food insecurity, saw calls for social justice, you know, they may have redirected some of their uh, philanthropic resources there. But boy, it came roaring back with 27.5% uh, growth in, in current dollar terms. And I was thrilled to see that. Although I think Una will probably tell us that some of that was driven by those mega gifts, which means that um, the impact on arts, culture, and humanities was uneven. 
Absolutely. I'd, I'd just add to Laura's point that uh, arts and culture and humanities uh, definitely saw a rebound in 2021, and that's really good news for arts organizations. It's also worth mentioning that uh, arts and culture is one of those that's driven by the economy, so strong stock market impacted uh, giving to this sector. And uh, with the return to some in-person fundraising, in-person events that allowed arts and culture organizations to have some recovery. A similar, uh, I think, good news story out of the health sector. The health sector in particular, you could say a bit of a surprise during the COVID year, they did see a decline. And a lot of that was explained by the fact that health organizations, American Cancer Society, American Heart Association, depend on in-person events and fundraising. All those uh, walks and runs that we're familiar with, many of them were curtailed during the pandemic. So it's encouraging to see those uh, organizations start to return to whether it's in-person or hybrid events and a lot of creativity to sort of reimagine what's possible in this changing COVID uh, world that we're all living in. Uh, but then also to see that the uh, strong economy, both the financial markets and also the economic indicators helped push both uh, giving to health and the arts to kind of a rebound uh, scenario. And, you know, I wouldn't, if I were in education, I wouldn't be terribly concerned about that small decline that we saw. It's still the second highest amount ever given to education, eclipsed only by the outpouring of support that we saw in uh, 2020, some of which was going to organizations uh, like HBCUs or digital inclusion uh, kinds of activities. And so I think uh, I wouldn't read that. Uh, somebody said to me recently, um, a uh, one piece of data is a point, two pieces of data are a line, three pieces of data, and it becomes a trend. So I, I wouldn't be concerned about that if I were in, in education. But I also think to look at that growth in public society benefit, 23.5% growth, but over two years, it's almost 43% growth in giving to public society benefit, and that's pretty remarkable. I actually wanted to ask you specifically on that briefly, just because I did notice you, you guys kind of explained how, because I noticed some steadily grew for the most part, and there were some that had like peaks, and so that's probably explains like the arts and culture and stuff, but I'm curious what, I don't want to say trend line, but what, what do you see the future of public society benefit since it has had such increase recently? I think that it's a grab bag of organizations, first of all, so let's acknowledge that there are different kinds of organizations represented there that I think are going to have very different experiences uh, in 22 uh, when we can tally it and moving forward. Um, certainly it includes the national donor advised funds. So Fidelity, Vanguard, Schwab, National Philanthropic Trust, those are represented there. And we have seen that donor advised funds have become a very popular and efficient way for many donors, especially high net worth households, to organize their charitable giving. And we're seeing more and more of those uh, funds having a zero um, dollar requirement. So now even an everyday household can establish a, a donor advised fund if that will help them to organize their charitable giving. That's a big part of that growth. I would anticipate that that growth would continue unless um, Congress brings some regulatory pressure to bear on donor advised funds. Uh, I'd also say that this is the first year that Giving USA will include a special chapter on donor advised funds just because we know that they've become such a 
um, influence in charitable giving now represents about 6% of all charitable giving activities. So that will be there. The other reason why I think that we are likely to see a lot of activity um, and perhaps measured in dollars here is that I suspect that we will see a return to what we called uh, previously rage donations. I, I think that the uh, polarizing political environment that we find ourselves in and some uh, national headlines that elicit strong agreement or disagreement will have uh, one of the ways that people will express their views is by supporting the nonprofit organizations that advocate for or against some of the things that we're seeing in society today. I will also jump in and just say another sector that we have been watching very closely because it's been a very high performing, high growth, uh, impressive growth rates over the past decade is giving to the environment and animals, environmental sector. Uh, so just as far as growth rates, there was an 11% increase over 2020. It represents what right now a small share of giving 3%. But in inflation adjusted terms, still grew at 6%, over 6%. And underneath those numbers, we're seeing a lot of uh, environmental groups that are using technology to reach donors. And in turn, younger Americans giving to the environment in actually disproportionate numbers. So for many uh, groups in the environmental sector, there's also been a lot more emphasis on how they can respond to both local and global challenges and this is making, uh, I think, many more Americans are engaged with climate and environmental related issues than ever before. So that's also very encouraging. And I think that will continue going forward, just given the demographic of who we see supporting these uh, environmental organizations. Okay, great. And and just to close out, any any final thoughts or any teasers for the full report that you could give? One last point that I think we've been watching for quite some time in both 2020 and 2021, we saw online giving reach a new record as a share of all giving uh, for the 2020 data. It was close to 13% of all giving for the first time. And even in this year's report, there's been some uh, sustenance of that with uh, over 12% of, of all gifts made online. So lots of, uh, I think, change during this time. The big message is the need for nonprofits to continue to adapt. We've seen a remarkable innovation already, but if I had to issue one call to action, it, was, it would be how do nonprofits continue to innovate? Also understanding that building relationships is the bedrock of philanthropy, and that's often more challenging in a hybrid world, building trust and building relationships. But there are many new tools and opportunities to do so, and we expect that uh, many of these uh, trends will continue going into the future. And I'll just remind folks that we released the top line data that we've been discussing today on June 21st, and release of the full book uh, will occur on July 12th. And so those who subscribe to Giving USA, and remember it's a subscription model now, uh, will have access to the full book. And I would encourage practitioners to use that as a resource. As Una said, it's not just a bigger and deeper exploration of the data. Indiana University does a wonderful job of curating other significant, incredible studies over the course of the year. So they'll bring in things like the Fundraising Effectiveness Project and other kinds of measures. And then finally, the editorial review board will weigh in with some um, actionable insights, practitioners' uh, comments about how to apply that data 
to whatever sector you might be representing or whatever sources of funds you might be pursuing. Okay, perfect. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you to our guests, Laura and Una. It was great chatting with you too. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the in-depth look at the Giving USA report. And on behalf of Nonprofit Pro, I'm Amanda Cole, and we will see you on the next episode of the Nonprofit Voice. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Nonprofit Voice. You can listen to more episodes of the Nonprofit Voice at nonprofitpro.com slash podcast slash the hyphen nonprofit hyphen voice. And remember, for your convenience, you can stream any and all episodes of the Nonprofit Voice on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify.